Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 658 with Lachlan McKinnon-Patterson. You have to find a front-of-the-house partner who thinks about things in their world like you think about things in yours. You can't do it on your own. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Everybody loves payday, am I right? But loving your payroll provider, that's a different story. It's a little weird. Still, small businesses across the country love running payroll with Gusto. Gusto automatically files and pays your taxes. It's super easy to use, and you can add benefits and HR support to help take care of your team and keep your business safe. It's loyal, it's modern, and who knows, you might even fall in love. To learn more, head over to gusto.com slash unstoppable, and when you run your first payroll you'll get your first three months free again that's gusto.com slash unstoppable were you aware that 89 percent of guests will research a restaurant online before dining out this is why it is so important for you to be mindful of what your online presence is Visit getbento.com slash unstoppable to sign up for your Bento Box website today. Bento Box empowers restaurants to own their presence, profits, and relationships online. One more time, that is getbento.com slash unstoppable. You got to check out Wisetail, a premier learning management system. Wisetail is a forward-thinking training and communication platform built to engage today's workforce. Wisetail is trusted because it grew up alongside some of the most recognized restaurants in the industry. This has helped them shape their products and its functionality through real-world feedback and rigorous testing. Wisetail can help you scale your training initiatives across all locations while empowering your employees to take control of their learning and their professional growth. To learn more, head over to www.wisetail.com slash unstoppable or find the banner in the show notes. And if you use my links, you'll get three months free after signing up for a year contract. Again, that's wisetail.com slash unstoppable. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Lachlan, Chef Lachlan McKinnon Patterson. Chef, are you feeling unstoppable today? For sure, completely. Yes. So, man, I've been really looking forward to this interview. I cannot wait to get into it. I've had your business partner on the show. I love what you guys are doing at Frosca in uh, Pizzeria Locale. Um, Let's just dive right into it. As a teenager, Lachlan McKinnon Patterson started working in restaurants in St. Louis, Louis, Missouri. After graduating from Colorado State University, Macklin Patterson set out to fulfill his dream and moved to Paris in 1999. He obtained his... Uh, actually, you're going to have to say this for me. Name the type of certificate and where you got it so I don't destroy it for me. So the certificate is called a Certificate Aptitude Professionnel. Okay. So a CAP. And this is the trade certificate that uh, high school kids in France get Okay. that allows them then the ability 
to then chase their next restaurant dream. So Get you got it. that certificate yeah. when you're in France, uh, and you returned back to the states in 2001. Uh, you worked for Thomas Keller at the French Laundry, where you met your future your future business partner Bobby Stuckey. Yep. Uh, and you went on to open on went on to open Frasca Food and Wine in 2004 in Boulder, Colorado. 2007, you and your partner launched uh, Scarpetta Wines. In 2011, you opened Pizzeria Locale. Uh, and I mean, you guys have been crushing it. You, you've been tra- transferring or transforming the business to more of a, a fast casual in different places while maintaining the full service in Boulder, the pizzeria locale. And I cannot wait to dive into the details of how you're tackling this. The, the challenges that come with that must be incredible. Mm-hmm. The, the incredible mentors you've had along the way must be some great stories there. But let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? Mantra. I think... Um something that I live by all the time is always to be a better listener than you're a talker. Uh, and I don't think that we'd have our hands in so many things that are doing, you know, so, so super well in many ways, if that wasn't the case. Yeah. Great way to get this thing started. How I'm curious, how, when did it take you to figure that out? Did you have to figure out the hard way learning to listen more to speak? Well, you know, I, th- I think about some of our businesses that we have and how we had no experience in those businesses. And I think a lot of that came from observing and listening and not pretending like we knew what to do. Mm. Yeah. Specifically on the wine side. Right. And then in this transition to, you know, fast food, those are two things we knew nothing about. What do you think it is that we're so afraid to admit what we don't know? And I think it's something that kind of dissolves that fear kind of dissolves as we mature into adulthood, but especially like in our early twenties, we have a little bit of that ego. We're afraid to say, I don't know. Yeah. Why, why, why do you think you know, I, I don't know, but you know, my parents are both academics. Yeah. And so I never came to this industry from a, you know, extensive, you know, years of training dishwasher on up, you know, certainly had great mentors. I got to work in great restaurants, whether they're in France or in the United States. Um, but I've always been kind of a consumer of reading and listening and reaching out to people that I know are six steps ahead of me. Um, so I've never been one of those people that's just a fast talker or a, you know, uh, fake it till you make it kind of guy. I got you. I yeah. got you. Great way to get this thing started. So where does it make sense to start telling your story? Cause you yeah. started working in St. Louis, right? That's when you get your start in the industry. Um, is this when you were hooked? Where were you? Mm-hmm. Did it take a more time to get hooked? When were you all in? I was all in, um, you know, so I actually graduated from Washington university, which is a small brainy school in St. Louis okay. and, and didn't do well in high school. So it was my last kick at the can college wise. I went to three colleges. Okay. My parents would, you know, God forbid they'd ever have a son that didn't go to college. <laughs> um, you know, they're both like world famous surgeons and spent, you know, 21, 30 grades, like getting to where they needed to go. You know what I yeah, mean? So, yeah. so the idea of not going to college was just like forbidden. What was that pressure like to have parents that were so academic and for you to not really feel like that was your path? That must've been kind of, yeah, you know, I didn't pay much attention to it then. I'm a, I'm a father now of three kids. Yeah. So I pay a lot of attention to it now <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm <laughs> and sure. I'm really super into it. So I could see how, um, uh, how they were just obsessed with that, you know? And I, I never forget. I graduated on the Dean's list, um, from, my third and final crack at college. What was, what were you doing along the way? Were you changing your major? Were you trying to find your focus? Yeah. I just was not interested in school. Okay. Like never really happened. Why do you think that was? I don't know. I really don't know. I just couldn't, I just, I just didn't inspire me. I mean, you wouldn't be surprised that it comes up a lot on the show where people who were extremely successful in the hospitality vertical, the restaurant vertical didn't do great 
in school they, mm-hmm. or they just didn't have an interest in it because it, it, it didn't spark their interest. There, mm-hmm. there wasn't anything there for them. But as yeah. soon as they find that muse, that, that thing that's, that lights them up, which yeah. happens a lot of the time to be the restaurant industry, they just crush it. What, what do you think is going on there? You know, I think that's really, you just hit the nail on the head. It's finding what really turns you on. Yeah. And whatever that is, if you charge full speed, it generally works out well. So what was the third degree that lit you up? So the third, de- well, the third, my third crack was, you know, I went to, um, one of the most, um, uh, one of the most interesting schools, I think in the beginning, which was Western state in Gunnison, Colorado. Okay. Now you got to think about this. I was like grew up in Toronto. I moved to St. Louis when I was 16. Okay. I did a couple of years of high school there, but had so many credits because in Canada you have five years of high school. So I actually didn't even need to go to halfway through my senior year. Okay. So I worked in a restaurant. That's where I kind of first got my bug because my parents were like, listen, if you're going to sit out the second half of school, cause you don't need to go. But I was literally squarely like a C student. You know what I mean? Um, you got to do something. So I started working in a restaurant and then finally really one of the only schools I get, I get accepted to was in this tiny town of Gunnison. I remember my, uh, my, uh, uh, nanny actually took me to college. Um, I don't remember doing much there, uh, to be honest with you. Then I got kicked out of that school and then I went to, I had a friend who lived in Fort Collins. So I went to Colorado state, gave it another crack. That's what I saw. Yep. Yep. Somehow I turned it on at the end and I ended up going, you know what? I'm going to like try to finish with a bang. So I'm going to graduate from this school. I'm going to apply to Washington university, a school I never would have been able to get into out of high school. And I'm going to transfer there just to see if I can crush it there, like what this is all about. So, okay. I, so I went there, graduated from there. The dean's list. And the first thing my mom said to me is like, you finally arrived. What grad school are you going to? And I said, I'm not going to grad school. I'm going to move to Paris and work in a restaurant. And they were like, Jesus Christ. Where did this come from? This is from that one experience working at Fort Collins? No, you know, I kept working in the industry okay. all the way through. What was it about the industry that made you so dead set that you knew? Well, that? I was just super interested in cooking. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I was pretty good at it. And I also, I wasn't also, my parents, they always said, you know, your job is going to school. You, you, you don't, you're not going to have a job outside of school. And I always thought, geez, like I hate school. Why does this have to be my job? You know? <laughs> and, and so I think the minute I got the taste of like a job and, and the, those kinds of jobs, I was just so into it. You know? So I like the camaraderie. I like the, like the, like torture of it or like the hustle or like the survival, mm. you know? And that's kind of like what the restaurant business is in so many ways. And so I kind of thought that was so, you know, kind of fun and dark and, you know, so I just liked it, Yeah, you know, so I would bake bagels and I like, I mean, I met, the only job I've ever gotten fired from was a Brugger's bagels job because their standard was three hot bagels out of 12 at all times. And I thought that was just such a low bar to set. I was like, why can't we just have all 12 hot at all times? So rather than make like sandbagging all these bagels and just every once in a while peppering in some fresh ones of the popular ones, I just said, let's just make 10 of everything constantly. And I just was like, people will wait for a hot bagel. They'll wait a minute. They'll wait three minutes. Who cares? And I remember finally I got fired from the franchisee who was this Harvard MBA guy um, because I just wouldn't look at the bottom line. I wouldn't yeah. agree to the standard of only three hot. Instead, I would insisted that we should have twelve hot. And finally, they kicked me out. <laughs> well, it's, it's nice to see that you you found uh, the path that wasn't right for you in the franchise world. Not to say that anything's wrong with the franchise world, but it's good to see that you had these these high standards early on, right? Yeah. Um, so, moving on, like when did you make the decision to go to France? I went to France right after I graduated from Washington University. Was this a dream 19- you always had, or is this? 
bubbling up working in the restaurant industry? You know what? I just, the, the further I went and I, you know, I worked in a country club when I moved back to St. Louis, there was a, a, a European chef there who had like was my first experience with kind of like, okay. you know, you know, all, all the different, you know, positions like in a formal restaurant yeah. kitchen. I thought that was super interesting. Brigade. Yeah. So I was learning all, all about that. And, um, he was a super strong teacher and, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of like culinary competitions that go on on the junior level, especially. And so he was very involved right, in that. Let's so, lean into this gentleman you know. a little bit more. Um, what did he teach you reflecting back? I mean, he taught you a ton, yeah. but not so much the, the what and the how, um, more of the why, why, why we are a certain way, how to, how to conduct yourself, yeah. that kind of thing. How do, what yeah. did he teach you about being a person? Well, you know, I think, um, I think that, and I tell this to a lot of, uh, you know, young employees we have, or, or just, you know, people that, um, that I know that work with us that are interested in kind of when that, when, when the tipping point kind of happens. And I think that anytime you have, uh, you know, kind of an extended amount of experience with anything, it could be, you love reading and, but you've never, you know, met an author. Right. And all of a sudden you're like, Whoa, I had no idea what goes into a book. And then you just you know, you become a more voracious you reader. No idea what you don't know, right? right. And so <laughs> yeah. this, the, he was that guy for me, right? So I'd worked in, you know, messy catering kitchens. I had worked for, you know, franchise, uh, you know, a bagel franchise. I had done odd jobs, baking cookies, making granola, you know, things like that. He was the first, my first, um, you know, boss and mentor really mm-hmm. who, who was like, here's the deal, right? Like, the, you know, I know you like cooking, but let me just show you kind of what, like what it's all about. Right. What was it all about? Like, well, well, I think I, it was my first, my first experience with the, the work ethic that's needed. I had no real concept of that, you know? So I remember, you know, cleaning like, you know, four crates of cherries for mother's day and like your hands are just red, you know? And it's the only thing I got done the whole day. It's like 10 hours of just cherries. You know, I'd never experienced anything like that before. Um, ice carving. I had no idea what the heck ice carving was. You know, why, why would someone do that? So you open up, you open up you to the world of what hospitality could be and culinary could be. Exactly. And honestly, it just opened me up to the world of what perhaps a career in fine dining or in the culinary world really likely looked like from a foundational purpose. Yeah. And I had never seen that before. I just, I was like, you know, you show up, you punch in, you, you help out. Yeah. This was a very big picture sort of, for, sort of job for Got me. You. So this is kind of where you really were like on board. Like this is what, like he kind of sent you in the path. Like this is where I'm committed. I'm going to go to Paris. I'm going to learn. Um, I would like to spend some time in Paris, but I mean, we, I really want to make the most of our time together. Uh, is it worth spending time in Paris or is it worth kind of fast forwarding? Well, I think the Paris thing and you know, France in general, there's a, there's a lot of parallels to, um, you know, it, what's really important is getting the right mentors and getting the right rigor and getting the right environment. Okay. Paris kind of checked all those boxes. And, and I would imagine if you're going to be an attorney or you're going to be a doctor, you're going to be whatever, there's probably a place or places where those, all those boxes are checked, right? Where like the habits are really good. You know, the discipline's really serious. The, the talent is high. Mm-hmm. You walk out in the street and you're still in it. You know what I mean? And Paris is that kind of place. And, you know, and not to knock other places because you can find that in many parts of the world, but when you have it and those, all those things come together, you feel it yeah. and it takes your career from kind of a, a, you know, a D to an A pretty fast. Yeah. You know, I think it takes a lot, not just I mean, the, 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 the things you're learning, the mentors you're surrounding yourself with, the experiences you're getting are on. Un- 
unparalleled. Like, but beyond that, I think it says a lot about on paper when people look into who you are when you're going for jobs and they see that you're willing to travel halfway across the world to go get experience, that they see that you're that far into it, that you're that committed to it. It also develops the story. It helps you build your own personal brand. So when you're marketing yourself to opportunities, like they, they see that. They see that track record. So there's, it makes you a little bit more interesting too. And I, think, I don't think we should be trying to just seem interesting. But do you want to speak to like the, that level of like the marketability that it does for you being able to – to do these things? Do you think yeah. that plays into it? Well, I think so. You know, I mean, I, I didn't really think about that at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, no question it's, you know, it's, you, you leave that experience yeah. and it's an experience that many others hadn't had a chance to get. Yeah. Um, but you know, I always encourage everyone that I know to go find that place where it's not just, um, inside the four walls it's outside the four walls and it's everything that's trickled down it all feeds into into this kind of culture of excellence and you have to realize that that unlike and i'm not going to shit on a particular place but like unlike let's just pick an example like pittsburgh pennsylvania okay unlike pittsburgh where perhaps you don't have many, many generations of butchers, many, many generations of, 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 uh, of bakers, many, many generations of bakers, but bake that don't bake even bread. They only bake vinoiserie. Mm. So like sweet pastry, right? Many generations of uh, cheese makers, many, many generations of people that just take the cheese from the cheese maker and age the cheese. So it's perfect for someone to buy. Yeah. Okay. It's so, years and years of knowledge being passed uh, in, yeah. in every channel. Yeah. Butchers. I got you. It's endless. Mm. And so, uh, so what ends up happening is, is that you can imagine an environment where anything food related has hundreds of years of experience behind it. And not only that awards and certificates mm-hmm. of standards, at, standards of, at the highest level. We don't have those things. It doesn't matter if you're in, in Boston, it just doesn't exist. So what is the, the biggest level, the biggest impact this had on you? Well, so, you know, the biggest impact for me would be able to, to, to think to myself, okay, we have, um, you know, cause it's Francis has an interesting, uh, um, position when it comes to vacation and like socialism. So like every three weeks, it seemed like there was another five day, uh, five day weekend of some kind, Yeah, you know? And That's so I, I, I can remember like thinking to myself, wait a minute, we, there's no school again. And so I would go to a butcher shop as an example that I knew delivered meat to Arpege or to Lamboisie or to Ducasse or this. And I would just ask if I could work there for free and the kind of knowledge that I got in those places in like five, six days. And then the introductions I would get yeah. by making the rounds and delivering at 5 a.m. I couldn't get that anywhere else. Oh, man, I love it. I think you know, so that, I didn't even want to be a butcher. Yeah. I was just like, where could I go connect and learn from somebody? And it was like every time you stepped into that, it was always at like the highest level, right? Like so far ahead of my skills. Yeah. To, right. to reinforce the lessons that I'm pulling that come up, you know, on the show, the, the, the big lessons is surround yourself with the best. You, you are the average of those you surround yourself with. The other big lessons here. I think a lot of people when we're young, especially we, we think that we only look at money as being the only type of asset there is, but our time is an asset. Knowledge is an asset and we can trade our, our time for 
knowledge, right? And we don't think like that. We don't, we're not willing to work for free just to get experience, just to, to see things. And that time's the most valuable asset we all have. And you have a lot of it when you're young. So use that time, use that asset to trade it for knowledge, to trade it for connections to certain people, right? Cause I, I wouldn't, I don't want to make assumptions about, but I wouldn't be surprised if this, if, if you found yourself at the French laundry because of somebody you met in France, you know, maybe who knows, but the thing is you're always going to, there's always going to be a connection when you put that little F that little extra effort in, someone's going to see it and they're going to open up their network to you. Right. Mm-hmm. So awesome stuff. So I guess that kind of leads us to the next question is how did you find yourself at the French laundry? So I, you know, missed my family and want and wanted to get back to North America mm-hmm. at that time. The French laundry is probably the most talked about restaurant in the U S mm-hmm. um, given that I had some strong contacts on the French side, I did dabble in, um, you know, trying to take those to the hole in a couple of places like in New York with people that I had met who knew so-and-so and so-and-so, you know, Ducas just opened his first restaurant in New York at that time in the Essex house. This was like 2001, you know, so, so, you know, I explored that, but I can recall pretty quickly, um, especially after my experience uh, with just observing at the French laundry, there was something completely different than I had ever seen before. What was different? Well, you know, like the connection to um, the land, um, the garden. Um, at that time, there was really no distraction. So you have to think that, you know, Thomas was always around. Um, and that, that that's really impressionable for, for a young chef, right? It's, um, it's something that I always think about, you know. So, so you know, if Ducasse has seven restaurants and they're all amazing and they all have got three stars, he can't be in seven all at the same time. Yeah. So, so his people are great, but it reminded me a lot of what I was doing in France. Whereas when I went and observed at the laundry, I was like, there's some magic here that's just different. Whether it's California or it's the Napa Valley or it's the gardens or it's our own guy that just grows figs or it's the best dried fruit I'd ever tasted or, just, or it's Thomas Keller being there every day. It, there was just a feeling that I hadn't experienced in a while. And I thought, there's something about this. I got to do this. And so I just moved directly there. Yeah. Yeah. So did you ever, were you ever able to kind of pinpoint what that magic was or where, do you think it was Thomas Keller's um, presence itself? Or was it just the, the fact that you had so many passionate people in one small space, like shoulder to shoulder sharing that level of passion and that desire? Well, there was a, a it, you know, it's still such an incredible restaurant today, but r- restaurants always have a moment. And I think that that was the moment. Um, the and, I don't know, not necessarily the peak. It was just the, it was just the moment. It was the moment where, you know, like I, I think to myself, all the people that I know today or the people that maybe I have lost contact with, there's, there, there are so many great leaders in our industry that, that the entire world knows, um, that we're all there at that moment. Mm. Okay. Um, would they be there at the same moment today? Maybe, but at the end of the day, they're not, you know, so there was this moment there. And, and so when you have, you know, like Rene Redzepi, who's the, who runs Noma as a, as a stage, you know, at that same time, or you have, you know, Grant Ackett's, you know, from Alinea, or you, I mean, there's just list goes on Corey Lee from Bennu. Yeah. Uh, there's lots of people, um, and from all over the world, all at one time. Yeah there's something going on. It's yeah. not, you're not the only one that's feeling the buzz or the bug and right. And so it, it really wasn't, it really wasn't any one particular thing. It was the combination of the moment in time, you know, Pellegrino had just begun. It was voted number one restaurant in the world. So of course it created mm-hmm. all eyeballs on it. And then you had the people that you work shoulder to shoulder with, which were obviously unique individuals from all over the world. So the buzz there. Uh, and then you had, um, 
uh, all the other things that surround that great food, great, you know, um, you know, you know, great, interesting leadership, uh, amazing environment. Let's lean into that leadership. Yeah. I want to pull one nugget from something that Thomas Keller himself taught you, not necessarily like a, a sit down lesson, but yeah. like through observation, through just being there, something that you picked up that you, you know, exercise to this day that you would have never gotten without that experience. What is one thing you can think of? I'll say that the one singular thing that I take away from, from that time is, um, a particular statement and it by far and away supersedes anything else I can remember about working there. And, and that is, uh, this quote really that now for me is this quote, uh, and it's treat it like it's your own and someday it will be. Yes. I love that. And, and it is, and there are so many things that happened that all connect directly to that quote. That's the singular thing that I remember most about working Give me there. one thing that has happened that direct, that give me one example of those direct connections to that quote. So I'll give you a really, really good example. I can remember, um, you know, and every day was a long day, like it would be in any great restaurant. Um, but I can recall getting, um, uh, an email, um, where everyone needed to show up the next morning ridiculously early in comparison to what you were used to showing up, which already seemed early considering how long it was going to be again. And, uh, we, we all were, had to go meet in the garden. And when we arrived, um, we, we all sat in the grass, not just the chefs, but any person who ever walked through the kitchen. So if you were a food runner or you were a dishwasher, um, or you were a front of the house intern that had to clock some time in the kitchen, or you were a food runner, um, or perhaps you were sommelier, you know, anyone who ever stepped foot in the kitchen there and there'd be perhaps a chance they might touch something all was sitting in the grass. And on the table was a big sheet and there was a three or four, you know, four foot tables all sitting outside in the lawn with a sheet over top of them. And the sheet was clearly hiding stuff. I don't, you know, we all sat there and then they unveiled what was under the sheet and it was every single piece of smallwares that was in the entire kitchen sitting out on this table. Okay. So a bl- every blender, every immersion piece, every strainer, uh, ladles, it didn't matter what it was, any tool that existed in the kitchen uh, was sitting there. And then there was a bucket of uh, soapy water and sanitizer. And we all had to sit there and watch as Thomas himself cleaned every single piece to the standard that he said was the standard for how, the, how it had to be cleaned. And we just sat there and watched him clean it. And he, and he literally like, you know, five minutes cleaning like a Vitamix, taking out the cord, uncoiling it, straightening it out, scrubbing the cord, you know, how to put it back, how not to put it back. And, and then that times every single piece of equipment, it was like two hours of him just doing a cleaning demo and talking through every little nook. And, and that now that everyone knows the standard don't ever think about not doing all of these things. If you ever touch any of these pieces of equipment. Yeah. And I think, the so other- that, t- talk about 
treat it like it's your own in some day will that was his own equipment he was the owner yeah that's his equipment he bought it exactly like we hear all the time from owners like oh do it better do it better but how often are they willing to do a demonstration to show you to the t how i expect you to do it and not only do i expect you to do it here i am right now doing it myself the i mean those things i feel like just the the act of going through the motions yourself to show people that you're willing to do it is so much further. It, 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 it carries so much more weight than just being told. When you see the owner himself or herself doing it, it's so powerful. How did that resonate with you in that moment? Well, we were young, you know, yeah. and so we all thought here he is again. You Talk know, about making a point, just though. a nutball, yeah. you know. Um, but it sticks with you. Yeah. And there was many things like that um, that, in hindsight, I look back on and go, "Wow, you know, like no one does that," mm. or that's what leading is all about yeah we're gonna take one quick break to thank our sponsors we'll be right back it's the entrepreneurial myth and i'm sure you're familiar with it it's the idea that when you open your own restaurant life is gonna get easy because you get to do exactly what it is that you love whether that's front of house or back of house and then reality kicks in right you've got to do all this other stuff that comes with owning a business like taxes hr payroll really boring stuff That's where Gusto comes in. Gusto makes payroll, taxes, HR actually easy for small business. And if you want to add on 401k or health benefits, it's a breeze. Those old school clunky payroll providers just were not built for the modern small business. Not to mention, you've got to compete with the big guys. But how do you compete with the big guys when you don't have big guy bucks? Well, with Gusto. That's how. Get back to doing what it is you love and let Gusto handle the rest. And because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you'll get your first three months free when you run your first payroll. That's Gusto.com slash Unstoppable. Again, Gusto.com slash Unstoppable. So we're back, and um, we only have a limited amount of time. I want to make sure we make the most of our time. So let's focus on this partnership. Uh, Mm -hmm. What were the first impressions Bobby Stuckey made on you? Well, you know, um, I, I was someone who was always, uh, really interested in wine. Um, and I remember that started when I was in France. Um, I loved wine. I bought wine. I drank wine. Um, I was really curious about what role that played in, in the, in the restaurant experience. Um, I was also really interested in the, the other roles in the front of the house. And I had, um, I had a lot of experience working with really talented, you know, maitre d's, you can imagine that some of these kids that got the CAP like I got, but they got it in the front of the house. Right. And so they're, they're from a young age, 15 going through their licks of what it's like to run, you know, three Michelin starred restaurant in Monaco. You know what I mean? Okay. And so I'd seen a lot of this stuff, but, but I always felt that I had never met anyone where those things all came together. Right. Um, and I don't really know why that was. I have some theories about it. Um, and, uh, but to cut to the chase, it wasn't until I met Bobby that they all kind of were in one particular person, all those strengths, which highlight those strengths one more time. Just to make sure I get them. Hospitality. Yep. An understanding of how to run a dining room and incredible knowledge of wine. Okay. Yeah. So it's what is very it, rare to find those three things in one person. Watching Bobby, and this is an interview about Bobby, but observing Bobby, seeing how he conducts mm-hmm. a dining room, what is it that he does that, 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 that's magical, that set him apart from other people, that attracted you to him? Well, you know, when I was working at the French Laundry, I didn't get to witness Bobby doing that, right? But I had seen and I had knew so many people in France. I, I 
from what I knew of Bobby and our t- limited time together. And when I mean limited, I mean, we worked together for a number of years, but limited because different parts of the business. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I just knew, um, and I was right. It's a gut feeling thing. And I think we don't give enough attention to our gut, but we have to remember that gut feeling, that feeling is coming from our mind. That's, that's our, our body telling us something. And we don't always know what's going on because it's that low road of, it's just data that's always collecting information, right? From the, our experiences and it communicates to us. And when it talks to you, listen to it. And it yeah. sounds like it was talking to you with Bobby. Yeah. Um, so another thing I'm pulling from this go into business with somebody who compliments you well. What, what, what do they bring to the table? Is it what you don't bring to the table? And then that's going to be the full package. Um, obvious, obvious stuff right here. But so what was it like? What was that conversation like? Did you approach him? Did he approach you? How did you guys decide that we should go yeah. into business together? Well, Bob and I, we would hang out every once in a while together. Um, you know, primarily like, you know, ride bikes or we actually had this, um, you know, fun wine club at the end of the night we used to do where we'd collect wine or he would collect wine and he knew how much I was into wine. And so he'd say, um, well, we had the name for it. It was called the WBBC. It was the white Burgundy boys club. Okay. <laughs> and so he would say WBBC my place tonight. So it meant that he had collected third half bottles of great shit over the course of the last week or so and had enough that it made sense to huddle up at his house and drink all sorts of stuff. So as a young culinarian getting to drink wines that were so blue chip, um, you know, that was, you know, that was game changing. Just for the, me. I think game changing, just being around so many other passionate people, you work in the industry, you might be working at a restaurant, but are people breathing, eating, sleeping this industry? Or, I mean, when you're at the French laundry, like it's, everybody's just on all the time because it's, it's what they love. It's their life, you know? Yeah. So even after work, you guys are getting together and continuing to explore right. and build that camaraderie and to learn, right? It's so powerful. Um, well, put it in perspective, there was only two people in WBBC. Oh, okay. It was Bobby and I. <laughs> and right, then we invited his assistant to join. So we had three members. I love it. So when you think there was 40 chefs in the kitchen and I was the only single chef that was in the WBBC along with the two wine directors, the French Laundry, um, as someone who was in their early 20s at the time, multiple years of that it was you know yeah amazing but so you know i i recognize those traits in bobby and um and i always tell people how important it is to find a partner in business and um and i don't mean a financial partner i mean someone who's in the trenches with you yeah and then that they complement what you do why is it so important that they're in the trenches with you well you know i'll never forget um and you can ask Daniel about this, but you know, I remember Daniel Hume and I were best new chefs 2005. And at that time he was working at the Campton place hotel in San Francisco. So this was way before EMP and all this stuff. And I remember we got to talking and, um, and, uh, about a year later or so he said, um, what do you think you really need in order to, you know, really maximize uh, your career? Like in this industry, and I said, you have to find a business partner. You have to find a front of the house partner who thinks about things in their world. Like you think about things in yours. You can't do it on your own. Yeah. You okay? can't do excellence on your own. Cause I mean, you're only one person. There's only so many things you can be excellent at. Right. Yeah. And you can try and there's lots of examples of, but it doesn't ever, it's never going to feel the same. Mm. So for, and I think maybe that's that feeling that was missing from me when I was in Paris. I actually, when I think back on it and I haven't spoken about it really a lot, but of all the amazing restaurants I worked in, which are all world-class, um, none of them had a front of the house partner. Mm. They were all chef driven culinary temples. Yeah. So who was the front of the house guy? The guy, the chef hired who he thought could do the best job. But then where was he in the back 
right? And so this is the difference. So when the guest doesn't necessarily feel the front of the house magic, like maybe they feel the culinary magic. Mm. And if you want them to feel the magic of both, you have to have a partner. Yeah. It's as simple as that. And there's no real exceptions. So when you're saying it doesn't feel the same, are you talking about the experience the guest is feeling or the experience you're feeling in going into the battle with somebody? You know, often people leave a restaurant and they, they talk about one thing and it's either the food or it's this feeling in the front of the house, the service, the hospitality, how they're made to feel. Rarely do people talk about both or rarely do they talk about both passionately. This is the difference. I am 100% backing you. And I say it all the time on the show that like, I think in, in order to be competitive in today's market, I think you need a partner. I think you need a partner. And I think in, in order to attract, attract onto yourself, the greatest, you need to give them something other than a paycheck, right? They need to have that, that sense of, of pride that this is a part of my own thing. Right. And, and I think that's what the most successful restaurateurs do is they recognize and they share the, the ownership, right? That's right. They bring people in partnerships. Um, so I had Bobby Stuckey on the show. We kind of got deep into the beginning of the story of Frasca mm-hmm. and all that. We don't need to repeat that now. I'll link to it in the show notes. But what I'm really interested in and what's going on right now is um, your second location that opened in 2014, correctly? Your, your second restaurant, or it was the third, sorry. Second restaurant opened, Pizzeria Locale opened next to Frasca 2011. 11, that's right. And then in 2014, you guys started having the conversation about maybe looking at this concept differently. Correct. So what was going on in 2011? Um, well, starting in 2014, what, what, what was the state of reality in 2014 that made you have the conversation with yourself that we need to start looking at this differently? Well, I think that, um, um, let's, let's, um, for, for the record, you know, um, Actually, I'm going to stop you right there. Cause yeah. I just remembered I have to, I have to take another break to take the sponsors and we'll pick up right where you left off. Bento Box is more, much, much more than just another restaurant website developer. It is a hospitality platform designed to disrupt third-party services that come between the restaurant and the guest. Bento Box puts the restaurant first and offers tools that drive high-margin revenue directly through the restaurant website. These tools allow you to easily update menus, promote and sell events, share your press and media attention with the world, sell gift cards, take catering orders, and much, much more. In other words, Bento Box puts you in control so that you can focus on what matters most, your restaurant. Bento Box is trusted and loved by over 5,000 restaurants worldwide because they empower restaurants to own their presence, profits, and relationships online. Sign up today at getbento.com slash unstoppable. One more time, that is getbento.com slash unstoppable. Your job as a restaurant owner or manager is to paint a picture of the job done right and to empower your employees with the tools and knowledge they need to excel. This is why you need to check out Wisetail, a premier learning management system trusted by our industry's most recognized names. With Wisetail, quickly scale your training initiatives across all locations, empower your employees to take control of their own learning and professional growth, foster communication and engagement through their integration 
integrated training and communication tools and ensure long-term scalable success with the help of their best-in-breed client experience team. They'll take you from goal-setting and implementation to ongoing strategy and best practices training to make sure you maximize your ongoing investment in your training and your programs. And if you use my links, you'll get three months free after signing up for a year contract. Again, that's wisetail.com slash unstoppable or find the banner in the show notes. All right. You were just getting into um, the situation, the painting the picture of what was going yeah. on 2014 with your businesses. Okay. So I think that um, to, to connect this to a partnership, um, you know, the, the, I think the evidence of Bobby is, and I, our partnership together is significantly more illustrated today than it ever has been, even though we don't work together as much anymore. Ah. Okay. Because, um, you know, had we not have recognized these, you know, differences in each other and the ability to work together to make something bigger than ourselves, we actually wouldn't be in a situation where I'd be talking to you about what I'm about to say. Okay. Okay. Because we would just be slaving away at Frosca or, um, Bobby would be doing Frosca by himself and mm-hmm. he would be go- turning through chefs every few years and all that. Um, we never would have started making wine together. You know, we never would have realized in 2016 that the ideas that we had had reached critical mass and they were no longer side hustles that they had bloomed into real businesses. And as a result, we had to do something about it. This is the reason that we decided to divide our roles. Okay. Not because we had an epiphany about one business or another, that we simply recognized that the interests that we had in starting these other businesses that were, that we were, that we had a hunch that were important had now actually bloomed into really working. So for context, what were these other businesses that were blue? So we started making wine in Italy 2007. Okay. And, um, and we sold the wine to our friends and ourselves. Which scaled into something that became more. Every single state in the country, all provinces in Canada, Mexico, Caribbean, etc. What was the other business? It's a real business. Yeah. Someone needs to own that business just like we did in the early mm-hmm. days of Frosca. Yep. The other one was this idea that, um, that uh, fast food pizza is squarely a junk food. And why is it that there isn't anything else? And a really important idea. So when you start to then open restaurants and they start to get, you know, busier and those people have, you know, they have, uh, there's teams and they need to like have leaders and they need to, you know, all of a sudden you think, geez, we were right. Yeah. You know, and, uh, someone needs to be there for them. And so Bobby and I made a distinct decision in 2016 to take our three businesses and divide them amongst the two of us to create an absolute one-stop owner, if you will, someone to really take ownership of those businesses on each one of the channels. Yeah, it sounds like and it's something as that- opposed to 10% of your time here, 30% of your yeah. time here. And that's how it was until 16. So the hardest point in my relationship and business relationship with Bobby was 2013 through 2017. Wow. Okay. Why? Yeah. 2013 was when we started to 
really put a clip on these other ideas and they started to really go. And we were left with juggling, Mm -hmm. juggling that was not sustainable, juggling to the point that the leaders in the restaurants or any of the businesses were looking for answers and they'd have to wait a week or two to get them. 2016, a very hard moment because we came to the realization that it's not working and we need to do something about it. What wasn't working specifically? The juggling? The juggling. Gotcha. No, Frosca was struggling because it didn't have the same attention it had in the early days. The other businesses were now real businesses were struggling because they didn't have anyone who was really in charge, yeah. even though we were in charge, right? We had now hired employees and teams and those things, and they had no one to report to, or they were wondering who they were supposed to report to. So it was confusing. It was disorganized, right? And so in 2016, making the decision, who's going to do what? was a really difficult moment. How did you guys make, how, how did you come to the terms or not th- the terms, but the, the decision? I think we realized that, um, ultimately we had to put you know, egos aside and really think about what, what, you know, what's everyone's strength here, right? Like if Bobby wasn't in in at Frosca, what would the consequence be? If Bobby wasn't involved in that full service brand from a real high touch hospitality standpoint, which is a, who would you have to hire to replace him? And it's all relationships at that point. So right. the people that are coming back, I feel like are coming back because they know that there's a, that, that relationship there, waiting, that presence, right? right? Front of house presence. And ultimately we made the decision based on personal brand and who would you have to hire to replace the other person and what made the most sense. Mm. And we decided that Bobby should run the full service restaurants and I should run the wine business and run our um, quick service pizzerias. Mm -hmm. It took a year and a half of pain as we started doing it, realizing what we're missing, what we don't have covered, what we need to rehire for. But in the end, now, 2019, each one of those businesses has never been more successful than they are today. That's amazing. And Bobby and I see each other once a week but have full stop support of one another across those various businesses. I don't meddle on the full service side. He doesn't meddle on these other service sides. Instead, what we do is we talk and we deploy one another where needed, when needed across all those different businesses. It's interesting. I love it. And I mean, just to kind of add a little more perspective in my research for this conversation, at one point, I mean, your servers were also making more money than you because you guys were, were putting so much into this business and at what point, like, do you have to think beyond just one business, right? To, to, to scale, to, to be more. So was that playing into like, you know, how long is this sustainable? We need to start putting money away. We need to start thinking about other channels of revenue. Was no, that playing into it? no, 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 not at all. I mean, Frosca had reached a, uh, a great economic model by the time this time came. It was really more about longevity and maximizing our potential. Okay. And how are you going to maximize something if you're spending, you know, 2% of your time on it, 20% of your time on it. The reason that we put ourselves in that position is because we spent 110% of our time on Frosca, mm. right? And so how do you make those other businesses feel that? You have to divide and conquer. And that's really what this is all about. So the only other thing I really want to dive into before, and this has been a great conversation. Thank you so much for making time today. Um, the one thing that really has me interested is, is that transition. And you're seeing a lot of yeah. people transition from the casual dining or fine dining to, mm-hmm. to quote unquote, fast casual yeah. or fine casual. Um, what is that transition as a chef been like for you developing these systems, thinking about the, and I think you've done an incredible job because I've been to both pizza locale locations, mm-hmm. a pizzeria locale. Um, what was that, that, what were you considering when trying to rejigger this business model for cast a fast casual concept? Mm-hmm. So the whole idea was really to, to, you know, if you took out all of the service 
And what I, I, I don't mean the being nice to people part. I mean, if you took out the reservationists and you took out the back waiters and you took out the, the servers and you took out the bartender and the bar back and the glass polishers, you take all of that out and the food runners, et cetera. And you, you create an interactive service experience where it's really just repackaging the same food you may have at the original PL, but in, but in, but in a, um, a, a, a particular um, service format where people get to do it themselves, you can serve the same food for less, right? It's never more evident now with the, what's going on with uh, minimum wage and this, this kind of thing. Yeah. What we didn't have a full appreciation for was all the parts of running a business that we didn't realize um, were perhaps more critical um, than we'd ever experienced in, say, running a full-service neighborhood restaurant that has some kind of national attention. For example, um, you know, people seek out for Oscar as a dining experience. And so locals seek it out for a special occasion. Um, people from around the world fly to it from time to time when they're in Col- or come to Colorado and say, if I'm going to have one dinner that's, you know, I don't know, special, if you will, or whatever, I'm going to do it that special night at Frosca. Gotcha. So it, it has this pull. And lots of restaurants like Frosca have that pull. So whether or not they are four blocks in or four blocks south or four blocks north sometimes makes no difference. The difference between that and fast food is fast food is 100% about convenience. The discovery happens after. What's the, what discovery? This discovery of that that's what it's about? The discovery of what else is there happens after. The first thing is people want to eat. The second is they come in and they eat. Mm-hmm. The third is they decide, was it good for what I paid? After that, they may come back. And when they come back, they start to maybe uncover different things about it that might be different than they're used to within the industry. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about fast food, anything with any kind of position about whether it's the food, the way they, whether there's cooking, you know, so much fast food, there isn't cooking at all. Right. Um, whether it's ambiance, whether it's, um, decor, right? Like so much fast foods made out of things out of plastic and linoleum. So like in order to get people to notice, right, it takes multiple visits, right? And multiple visits only happen if the real estate is right. This was like, nothing we ever considered, right? It was just find a spot and open the restaurant and realizing, Oh shit. Like we opened it on the wrong block because the construction workers can't, aren't going to get here. There's no place for the postman to park or the UPS driver can't just pull in and grab. That's what that, that's what that industry is about. Fast food is about feeding a vast majority of the country. So if there's one thing they were right about is that people should eat better pizza. Right? There's no need to eat 24 ingredients in the dough alone or high fructose corn syrup in the sauce. There's no need to eat that when yeah. it comes to pizza. The problem is you still have to create a format that can be convenient enough and, and affordable enough and quick enough I mean, this that is- people then want to come back enough to go, oh, shit, I actually now get it why I like this place versus everything else I've ever had. Yeah, and this I, is not something that happens in full service. One of the great things about being on the road and being able to go to my guests is that I get to experience their restaurants before having them having the conversation. And in my mind, going to what you described as being a destination where people come to, it doesn't matter. You could be in the middle of nowhere. You're like you are the destination. People are coming to you versus being a fast casual where you kind of have to be in, you have to kind of work in the convenience of everyone's life. 
different game. Um, and then just the level of going from that high touch, high standards of service to fast casual where it's lower touched by model, right? What that transition was like for you. And I have to compliment what you guys have done. It seems like you're very intentional with that space, with creating an experience as the lines queued up and just to kind of paint a picture. When you walk into the, 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 uh, the pizzeria, you're queued up and you're in line and the, the and the, you go through the pizza making process as you're walking up. So you, you get to witness and experience the whole process of what goes, the, how they, they make the dough, how they stretch the dough, what the, the ingredients going on. So, so it might be a, a transactional, quicker experience, but there still is a very intentional experience. You guys, you, you know it was intentional. Do you want to take us through yes. that? Maybe we just yes. talk about that. It is past 2 o'clock. I yep. know you had a hard stop. Yep. Uh, do you want to bring us through that real quick? Sure. So you know, our whole goal was to bring real cooking into fast food. And we're not the first ones to do it and won't be the last ones to do it. Um, but saying you're going to do it and doing it are entirely two different things. And so we just felt that it was important that people see what what's in their pizza, see how pizza is made and demystify things about pizza. They maybe have taken for granted. For example, what go out on the street and ask someone, how long does it take to cook pizza? You know, what are people likely going to say? 12 minutes. Yeah. yeah. 12 minutes, 15 minutes. Okay. Um, so get people getting to see a pizza that they made designed, yeah. cook in yeah. three minutes yeah. is a, a, a new experience for people. And you cannot like underestimate that. Um, or people seeing, um, the ingredients and, and seeing that, well, just looks just like something you'd buy and put in a salad or something. Yeah. You can't underestimate that. Yeah. And so, um, seeing, uh, all the dough being made and there's only four ingredients, Right. And seeing fermentation happen behind them, seeing the proofing room, all these things are everything from like a full on bakery all the way through to like, you know, a great pizza restaurant. Yeah. The other thing was, how do you create an environment where unlike most fast food, where people could actually go and work for you, train, become great crew members, become then great managers and actually leave and go open their own pizzeria. Name any fast food restaurant where someone could do that from the ground up and then actually have the knowledge to say, I'm going to go open a hamburger restaurant. You can't go work at any <laughs> fast food hamburger yeah. restaurant and, and know how to open a restaurant or yeah. how, what goes into it or how you grind the meat or because they don't do it. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, this is critically important, but those things come with extraordinary challenges because there's a, also a reason why fast foods figured it out and you don't do that you don't cook everything from scratch yeah. you don't go through all that training because it's expensive it's could be inconsistent it can be challenging it's hard to replicate and as a result people stay away from it so yeah. this is the kind of um war and fun game that we're in today when it comes to trying to change the way people think about and eat fast food pizza by bringing all the aspects of classical cooking techniques, real ingredients, um, great design, yeah. you know, all into something that's affordable for everyone. Yeah. I mean, the, the one thing I pull from that experience that really resonated with me is if you, if you have a unique selling proposition, if you're doing, putting a, t- a lot of time and energy into doing something right, show your work, show it off, make it a part of the experience. So people know that you're different, that you, that that dough does come from house. Cause look, it's right there as a pile of it, you know? And like, look, we, we care to, enough about what we do and how we do it to take you along the journey with us. And I mean, it's, it's, it's also a part of the assembly line too. I guess it's kind of, 
of organic and natural, but at the same time, you are you are showing that unique selling proposition. You are bringing people into the experience and the process, which is just really really powerful. Yeah. Um, I want to respect your time. I know you got to get to Denver, but we like to wrap up every conversation. Or one one question that I like to ask all my guests is, mm-hmm. how have you transformed the um, the mission statement is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. How have you transformed? Um, I think I've transformed by recognizing more than ever how important the team is and how important it is to empower those guys and gals to make the decisions, um, um, for the business. Beautiful. Uh, and this is something that I didn't recognize as much when I was younger. Awesome. Is there anything we have not discussed um, that you think would add value to the conversation? Anything you, you were hoping we would discuss that we didn't get around to that you can drop on us now or no. good. All right. So, uh, like every interview I have my guests call somebody out. So who's one person you respect and admire in this industry and believe would make a great guest mentor like you made for us today? Oh, uh, I think you be, you should interview, um, some people that aren't in the restaurant industry. Um, I think some of my biggest learnings have come from people that have never stepped foot in a restaurant. And I think that the guests would benefit from hearing their voices. I can 100 agree with that statement and I intend to it's funny that you mentioned that um, get some authors on the show uh, some leading edge authors not just leading edge within the restaurant industry but like thought leaders thought uh, you know what's the word uh, thought leader yeah thought leaders that, that are leading edge for everybody across all industries I would love to get people like that on the show absolutely for sure um, and how can we um, join your team say we're listening to this conversation we're inspired by what you're sharing with us we want to come join your team what's the best way to connect you can connect with uh, the businesses through their websites is probably the best way whether it's frosca food and wine.com it is pizzeria locale.com or it's on the on the wine side scarpetta wine.com and this is episode 658. Head over to restaurantstoppable.com slash 658. I'll have a summary of today's conversation over there as well as any links to tools or services or books or anything that was recommended uh, all over there in the show notes. Again, thank you so much, Lachlan, for taking the time to share your story, your knowledge, your mentorship. There is no questioning, my man. You are unstoppable. Thank you, man. Cheers. There's another one in the archive, and I have a couple calls to action for you. Please reach out to me, Eric at restaurantunstoppable.com, Facebook slash restaurantunstoppable, and Instagram, Eric Cacciatore. If you are interested in letting me know who I need to make an example of in Sacramento, in San Francisco, I'm on the road. I'm in California, Northern California, through the rest of October into November, and I would also love to connect with you, my my listeners. Grab a beer, grab a coffee, grab whatever. Let's let's connect. I want to go deep. I want to get intimate with my audience and my my guests so uh that all starts with you guys let me know who's out there uh not just guests but yourselves i love connecting with my listeners and let's also start growing this facebook group that i've created the unstoppable restaurant owners and operators if you guys want to communicate with each other if you want to reflect on episodes that's where i want to start doing this so email me to get permission to be added to that group or to search for it on facebook all right guys let's do this peace